Our hearts are heavy. This has been, let's be honest, since the start of 2020, we seem to be going from one tragedy to a pandemic to conflict with our own country to that pandemic coming home and hitting home and then everything else that's transpired over the last couple months. And our hearts are heavy. And this wasn't the original message for today. Actually, I was given this message back sometime this summer when I had to preach. I had an opportunity to preach and I preached on God. But the night before um, I brought, I was going to preach that, God said, I've got another message for you. It's not for tomorrow. You're good. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> but then he told me what the title was, and I said, no, thank you. <laughs> Where is God in hard times? Because I knew what that meant, and I didn't want that. And I didn't want that for our church. But his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Amen? So I'd like to continue kind of with that prayer J.D. left off and, and ask God to open our hearts to hear from you or to hear from him and know that he is here. Psalm 34, 1 through 5. In a prayer. This is a psalm of David and it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Father God, we have a hard time seeing that at the moment. But we come before you, the author and perfecter of our faith, asking you to guide and lead us today, asking you to guide and lead my words that may be from you, and that as they go forth, they may be heard. Heard is coming from you, and we may take them into our beings. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the, if you will, existential questions Everyone is always asking is, why, why is there hurt? Where is God when I'm hurting, when I see others hurting, in turmoil, cancer, death? Why is there pain and suffering? In fact, it was said not that long, well, not that long ago from, from this stage. If God is good, why is there suffering? Well, I think, I think God has some things to say to his, us through his word, and so we're going to kind of spend a lot of time this week kind of walking through this. Number one, know that God is there. Psalm 23, 1 through 4, half of you could probably even recite this for me. It's been often recited on battlefields in hospital wards, in ICUs, in prisons, 
anywhere where there's pain and suffering. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Yes, say it with me, please. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Oh, that had more than mine did. That's why. <laughs> that went to six. My notes only went to four. Um, I was wondering, you guys are good. Um, this was written while King David was king, later in his life. And yet he still refers to God as shepherd, referring back to that childlike faith when he was a shepherd. And even while he was a shepherd, he knew that God was taking care of him and he would not want. See, he saw the analogy that you and I are like sheep. And we need to follow our shepherd. That, he, that a good shepherd will make us lie down so we can be fed. A good shepherd will make sure we have water. Those things that we need. A good shepherd will restore our soul. See, then shepherds had small flocks. They weren't mega farms. And so the shepherd knew his sheep. And the sheep knew his voice. And he would lead them besides paths of righteousness. For his namesake. It isn't for ours. It's for his and in the valleys, the sheep would get frightened because they could sense predators around them. But with a the shepherd there, they didn't have to fear the evil because their shepherd was with them, nudging them and prodding them, and they were comforted. God hasn't moved. And his son is even closer. See, sometimes we get, as I talked about a few weeks ago, the Bette Midler, God is distant. God isn't distant. God became man. And God walked among men. And when God came down and became man, he had friends just like you and I do. And friends, close friends passed away. And one of them did, a close friend, the brother of Mary and Martha. We read in, in John chapter 11 about their brother Lazarus passed away. And when Jesus got there, Mary said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. 
And I think part of the reason he was deeply moved in troubles is he also saw, he's the Alpha and Omega, he saw one day she'd be weeping over another tomb. And he saw that already. And he said to her, where have you laid him? Not that he didn't already know. And then they said to him, come and see. And that probably rang really strongly with him because that's how he called his disciples. He would tell them, come and see. And then he wept. He wept for them, and I'm sure part of it was he was weeping for himself for he knew what was to come. And Jesus was moved and he told them to move the stone away and then as we all know the story then Jesus said to her I did not did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God and so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said father I thank you that you have heard me I know you will always hear me but I say this on the account of the people standing around that they might believe you sent me and then he had Lazarus come out And that story very much prefigures, if you will, the day Jesus walked out of the tomb on his own. He saw that in advance through this picture and he was telling his disciples, I am with you. And he's telling us today, he is with us, he has not moved. He he feels our hurts, he feels our pains, he feels our struggles. He has not moved. Jesus is there in our suffering. He's there in our storm. He walks with his disciples. And when he is, when we are there and we don't understand, he is there waiting. Waiting for us to turn and reach out to him. See, suffering... Suffering wasn't there in the garden originally. Suffering came into the world through sin. We all know the story of Genesis 1, 2. It's all good, six days of creation, and at the end of it, God makes man and said, it is very good. Amen? And then we get the story retold again, and God gives man, woman, and it is very good. And then Genesis 3. They're in the garden, serpent comes along. Is that, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? They take a bite out of the apple and Adam and Eve are both there. And then they go and hide because they realize they're naked. And we'll pick it up at uh, Genesis 3 verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man said to his, the man and the wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can we really hide from him? But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, to him, he said who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He already knew. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Jump down to verse 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned, away every, turned every way to guard the tree to life. See, our sin separates us from God. Our sin brought suffering into the world. And since that day, all creation has groaned, waiting to return to the original intended state. In Romans chapter 8, we learn that creation is, uh, verses 20 through 23, for creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom for the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but ourselves. All creation is groaning. We can look around us on a daily basis and see the fallen world around us. We can look within ourselves. I know that as we also read in Romans, we've, we've all sinned and fallen short. And we all need a savior. Unfortunately, there are consequences to our sin that affect all of creation. We have cancer. We have brother against brother. We have sister against sister. We have the enemy who is back there in the garden trying to make the most out of what he can in those moments when we're struggling. See, our daily suffering comes from many places. It comes from our own sin. For we were all slaves to sin, and we were free in regard to righteousness. But when the fruit you were getting at the time from the things which you are now, now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves from God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. See, sometimes we suffer the consequences of our own sin, and sometimes we suffer from the consequences of other sin. There's, there's literally, I mean, we, didn't, we weren't in the garden. My name's not Adam, my name's not Eve. But we're still under that condemnation. 
And sometimes we get affected by sins. Sometimes we also get a, an attesting. We go through a time of testing. We saw that in Jesus' life in the desert or even when we look at Job. I'm not going to read it all. Um, but Job went before God one day and say, oh, see, or not Job, Satan went before God one day and see, see, God, God kind of boasted in Job and see, see my servant Job, he is blameless. And Satan says, he's only blameless because you've protected him. And God said, okay, do what you need to do, just don't touch him. Don't touch him. And then Satan causes calamities come and takes his family. Job was a very wealthy man and he loses his sheep and his cattle and his flocks and all his children. And Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and filled on the gr fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Sometimes our testings and our sufferings come at us because God wants to refine us. God wants to use those to mold us, to remake us, to make him more like you, more like him. Because he is remaking us in his image. He is sanctifying us. And sometimes there are things in our life that are, aren't of him that we need to mold and remake, that he needs to mold and remake. And many times it may just be to give God glory. John 9, 1 through 4. Jesus heals the, blind, the man born blind. As he passed by and saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind, because that was the belief at the time. And Jesus answered, is, It is not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Sometimes things happen in our lives because God wants to reveal his glory. He's not testing us. He's not testing the person, but he wants to show himself powerful. He wants to show that he is the focus and not us. That he is the one who will receive glory. And when we take our eyes off him, and put it on man, he needs to refocus our aim, refocus our view. So then how are we to respond when suffering and trials come? How are we supposed to know which one it is? What's our responsibility? One of my favorite Psalms in all scripture, Psalm 139. Oh, wrong again. A lot of you know I like reading a lot of scripture because I think that is the basis and the foundation for everything we do. I'd ask you to actually read this with me because I think it tells us a lot. We're going to 1 through 6 and 23 through 24. 
O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Step one is to ask God what's going on in your heart. What's going on in your life? Is there some grievous way in me that has snuck in and that's why I'm going through this time? Is there something that God needs to refine out of myself? Elsewhere in Scripture, passage, uh, it talks about um, when we're talking to a brother and sister in Christ that we need to take care of the plank in our own eye before we can help our brother and sister with a speck in their own we need to test ourselves and have God reproof us and challenge us and reveal in us where there is sin or hatred or poor vision or mistrust. We need to let God work in us first. And one of the best ways he tells us how to do that is throughout Scripture, and then he takes us to the Lord Prayer. Because you see, sometimes it may not be that, but it's allowing his work to happen. If you think of, of the Lord's Prayer, it starts out, Our Father in Heaven, recognizing that positional relationship. He's our Father, Abba Father. Hallowed or holy be your name. But then in verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. When you come to the hard points in life, are you willing to pray that? We call it the Lord's Prayer, and it's his model prayer for us. Are we willing, really willing to let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What if those are hard times? What if those are things we don't want? How do we respond to him? See, Jesus had that same struggle. when he, And he knew that struggle was coming when he gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer. See, Jesus knew that one day he'd be in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he'd have that same struggle before him. See, in Matthew 26, we read that Jesus went to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, said their father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as you will. And two more times he went back to that same place after talking to his disciples and asking them to pray, saying, not my will but yours. And we have to recognize that sometimes not my will but yours be done. And we need to let God lead us through that time just as Jesus, knowing what he would face, endured the cross. But here's the great news, the cross wasn't endured in vain. Jesus died on the cross and many people stop there. But the story does not stop there. Our hope does not stop there. Our hope continues to the empty tomb. Because Jesus was laid in a tomb, but three days later he rose again. And then he rose up into the heavenlies and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is interceding for you and I today. And that's where there is hope. See, God is at work in our suffering for his glory. See, in Jeremiah 10, 13 through, I'm sorry, yeah, 10 through 13. Yeah. Um, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, and then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And, I, and you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me, when you seek me with all your heart. I referred to verse 10, all that's, that started back at 11. Um, here's, we always kind of, we think of those, we, everyone's heard that verse before, but no one, or not no one, but it takes looking back at the story to really unpack that for a moment. See, verse 10 says, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you my promises and bring you back to this place. Then he says, for I know the plans for you. For 70 years, the Israelites were going to be exiled in Babylon, and then they would turn to him. Sometimes, God says, wait. Sometimes, God says, my time isn't your time because my plans aren't your plans, my purposes aren't your plans, but he's going to do it for his glory. And we may not always understand that. But yet we know in Romans, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's a common verse we all quote. But we have to remember one thing and there where the commas are. We have to remember that not all things are good. Or at least they won't feel good this side of reality. All things will work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. So where does that leave us? God is here. And there is hope. 
Psalm 34:18 tells us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. And I believe that. I believe that our God is near us. Sometimes even more so when we're in that valley. For it can get easy on the mountaintops to get distracted by everything. But when we're focused down in that valley and the predators are on either side, we can wonder where our shepherd is. when he is right there next to us protecting us. In John 14, 25 through 27, God said, These things I have spoken to you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance that all I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Often in scripture we saw that any time Jesus broke through or the angels were sent, their first words were peace, do not fear. I tell you again today, peace, do not fear. God is with us. God will be with us through this time. God has a plan for each and every one of you. A plan to work all things for the good of those who love him. A plan to build up. A plan to bless and a plan to use each and every one of you to his glory. Let's close in prayer. Father God, when we are struggling, we have a hard time seeing you in our humanness. But that is when you most want to be there for us. Because you know your children are hurting. And often, God, that is when we most reach out to you. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would be close to the Jacksons today. Lord, that you would be close to the Popes today that you would be close to all who call South Point home, that you would be close to all who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that as we go through turbulent times, you would be close, closer than a friend, closer than, than anything else, that we would hear from you, Lord, and know you are here, and be, have your holy comfort in our lives. That we might walk that peace that passes understanding. Not just to ourselves Lord. But that you would fill us up. And fill us to overflowing. That we could share that peace with those around us. That peace that passes understanding. To those closest. And then to those furthest. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.